Hello, welcome to the Beyond Blocks podcast, a podcast about Drupal, PHP, open source, and related software development topics. I'm Oliver Davis. Today, I'm here with my guest, Mark Conroy. How are you, Mark? I'm good, Oliver. Thanks for inviting me. No problem. It's great to have you on the show. We've been talking about it for a little while. Uh, we've got a little list of things that I think we're going to try and get through today. So some really interesting things uh, we might be discussing. Um, can you share a bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, uh, well, my name is Mark. I'm uh, a director of development in Anatech, global agency based in Ireland. Um, in Anatech, I look after kind of the taking kind of a lead or the the kind of the, the direction, let's say, for our new builds. We 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 kind of divide Anatech into two areas. One is is new projects, and one is retainer clients. So mm -hmm. I, I look after the new projects and kind of how how we build those sites and how we can kind of you know build them quicker I suppose is one word you could use but kind of you know but doing that without any loss of quality mm -hmm. so I, a lot of my time is kind of research and development kind of stuff in terms of what can we do different that everyone can work with easily and clients still get the same quality websites yeah that's a really good point and I think that's pretty common for most people to have that sort of separation between sort of new builds and support and how those two sort of work together and yeah, having a, having somebody doing that R and D, I think is really important and not just like repeating the same thing over and over again. Like how can we improve and iterate to give a better solution for clients at the end of the day? Well, yeah, because I mean, it's, it's very easy to uh, make a website as in complete a website faster than the last one. Um, if you want to reduce the quality. It's 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 hard to keep the quality up, and 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 yeah. you know things are more competitive as well. There's we we see clients looking for, um, better, I suppose value is the word, um, on their projects. So you know how how do we make sure that this year we can create a project that last year would have cost ten percent more? Mm -hmm. Um, you know we don't want to reduce the quality, we don't want to reduce the security, we don't want to reduce the performance of the website. So uh, I kind yeah. of investigate, investigate those solutions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things we're going to talk about is about local gov. I think that's probably something that we could go into now a little bit and just having that distribution and that having that a good starting point yep. for um, projects and not having to rebuild everything from the ground up. Like if you've already got something that does 80, 90% of the job, why not use it than a bit of writing everything yourself? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, that's why we use distributions, so I guess, why we use. CMSs and frameworks like Drupal in general that you know we don't have to write our own blogging systems or, or our own um, things. Is oh yeah, local gov Drupal, and I, I, we won't. I know because you said we'll talk about it later on, but it, I think that's a great example of you know having a good starter kit mm -hmm. is, is one of those things that lets you keep the quality really really high, uh, but also build very fast. And you know Drupal even itself, like you said, you. It, there's the login system, there's the permission system, there's the node system, there's the block system, taxonomy system. Um, that's probably a couple of months of work that you yeah. save every project. Yeah, it's on a stream with somebody a while ago and uh, we were talking about Drupal and other things and we were sort of looking at it and he was like, it does all this out of the box. And we're like, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it does. you know, you don't need to write your own uh, um, yeah. JSON API or whatever it was, I think, uh, on the on the call. But it was, I remember yeah. I, I, had, I had COVID over Christmas, maybe was it three years ago, I think it was Christmas, 2020 or thereabouts and while i was sitting up in the bedroom for six days i decided how would it be to build uh, my own cms with node so i had some node mm -hmm. tutorial course i was following along and it was amazing the amount of things i got to if i want a permission system 
oh, Kubrick does that already. And then yeah, he did tag these, um, I think it was books I was creating, you know, so I wanted to tag them with order and tag them with genre and things like that. Uh, God, that's so easy with Drupal, with the taxonomy system. And you, you, mm. you start realizing how much you get for free with Drupal when you start trying to build something from scratch yourself. Yeah, definitely. I think then it comes down to, I guess, using the right tool for the job as well. Um, but yeah, if it's if you need those things and they're already there, then yeah, like why write it? Especially from things like a login system, writing that yourself, there's going to be potentially security issues and things there as well. Like why why not use something that's tried and tested and used on by and uh, developed or reviewed by hundreds or thousands of people on, on an open source project instead of just something that you wrote yourself. Interesting. Um, so I think the last time we spoke was at DrupalCon in Lille. Um, how was how was your DrupalCon? Uh, it was good. It was really enjoyable. I didn't get the many talks, but I, I met a lot of old friends again, or or you know, much different than the year before, where we had um the COVID mask mandates and it was a bit harder to kind mm -hmm. of be as personable as we had been in previous years. So I, I had a really good time. Um, we had a lovely. We weren't at a, actually kind of nearly all of a hostel between nanotech and maybe 30 of us went so we, we we rented loads of rooms and kind of those lovely bar at the front so mm -hmm. that was pretty cool um yeah i worked on some pretty nice things i think we're going to talk about one of them later on which which was the um the uh building what i'm not sure if if, if we are we, we will anyway let's say it now we'll talk about it later yeah, on. Sure, we'll go, we'll <laughs> go right, yeah. it was one of those kind of tools for your building websites much faster than than we did last year and i i built a cool tool for that which was uh building a drupal doing the drupal site building from a spreadsheet um via okay. my, uh, migration mapping spreadsheet it, it's really interesting it's, it's it's very rough and dirty let's say but it it actually works which I, so I, I spend a lot of time kind of um trashing out an idea for that uh mm -hmm. while i was at drupal gun interesting idea i remember doing commerce is it commerce Michael? i'm definitely importing commerce products from a csv file or something a long time ago mm -hmm. but um yeah i don't think i've done it particularly from like a excel spreadsheet or something like that so that sounds interesting yeah, you, you, you can do that with, i remember commerce as well doing it with a uh, uh feeds i think it was feeds and feeds parser mm -hmm. or tamper module or something like that which is which is great for getting i remember i had about two thousand products and this is for a private client and then each product had a couple of variations was drill bits so the drill bit could be size six or eight or ten or whatever i don't understand <laughs> drill bits but something like those kind of lines but yeah, so it, 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 but uh, the, my other my approach, and we get onto it a bit later, was was you know you got a migration mapping document uh, from the old site to the new site, the different content types and things, and yeah. is it possible to do your site building then from the destination uh, Google Sheet or Excel Sheet or whatever? Mm -hmm. That's really interesting idea. So does that come directly from a sort of a client request or something from your R and D time? Just like oh, because uh, we R and D time. This, so. Um, it came from. It came from, well, do you want to get into that now, actually, as a topic? Yeah, so sure. We, we seem to be going that direction. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> at, at DrupalCon last year, which was, um, I don't know where that was, not, not Lille, the one before Lille, was it Amsterdam? Yeah, I went to Amsterdam, Prague. I think there might be one in the middle. It was DrupalCon Prague, I think it was. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, we, we gave a talk as an Anotech, Stella and, and Eric gave a talk about migrating um, University of Limerick's website. Mm -hmm. And he had about 50 different websites, um, all, all Drupal sites that were going to amalgamate into one website. And then they've got about 150 other websites that are in, in a different kind of uh, 
uh, set up and we're going to eventually migrate those in as well. So we had what we called the, the spreadsheet of doom, which was you know, all the different um, websites and then all the different content types on the different websites. And lots of those content types had the same name, but did different things. So okay. um, if you, you, you get, um, I don't know, say a person content type, that's very different on a staff website than it is on a student website or than it yep. is on an HR website and things like that. And then they had the same fields and field names. And so, you know, it got re that's why we call it the spreadsheet of doom because it, it, it was massive. And there was like, I don't know, was it something like 50 something content types and 90 or a hundred uh, paragraph types and all this kind of stuff. Okay. So we created a second spreadsheet then, which was the uh, spreadsheet of sanity. And that was the, um, the the new website. So this is this content type here will map to this content type here, this field to this field, and this user type and taxonomies, and all that kind of thing. So fast forward, um, DrupalCon Lille. Every time we go to DrupalCon, we we meet up. Uh, everyone in Nanotech meets up for say two days, and we have a conversation about how do we do things better in Nanotech, and you know just internal retrospectives. We we, we try to do that about. Um, uh, four times a year, but we'll definitely hit it two or three times a year. So, and DrupalCon is a handy one because a lot of us go to DrupalCon as well. Yeah. So, while we were breaking up into our individual groups and discussing things, we got to talking about that massive University of Limerick migration. And I was saying, wouldn't it be brilliant if the spreadsheet of sanity could just be used for your site building? Because we've already listed in that here's all the content types you want, here's all the vocabulary. Yeah. Need, here's all the uh, roles we need and since that's all listed surely we can export from that somehow into Drupal mm -hmm. so <laughs> I, I I took the spreadsheet and I started looking at how we could do that so what I did was it's it's pretty simple this, this is the part where I said it's very rough and dirty uh, and I'm, I'm not a back-end developer so it was kind of using whatever I could uh, I exported each of the tabs in the sheet into a CSV file and then I wrote a small bash script and that bash script uh, populates variables inside um, uh, YAML templates. So okay. we got you know, a YAML field template and a YAML content type template and a YAML view mode template. So what you end up really getting is, is, is the basic, is basically the, um, the Drupal field UI page, except in a spreadsheet format. So you can have it for more than one content type at, at a time. But when, when you, 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 so you run that export to get the, CSV files, then you run a bash script called, I don't know, create a website or something like that. And what that did was, or that does is it creates um, a Drupal module called Site Builder. And when you install that okay. module, that installs your content types and your fields and your user um, roles and everything like that. So uh, mm. yeah, it was a kind of, kind of quick proof of concept to show that we can build websites from uh, migration um, spreadsheets. Uh, we haven't used it yet in Nanotech, um, but the next time I get a chance, I'll be definitely giving giving it a try. Um, There's a few little tricks with it that didn't work out for me, which was something like if you have a paragraphs field, you can create the paragraphs field, but I couldn't figure out how to set the individual paragraph types that are allowed inside that field. But I kind of thought I could spend two days trying to figure this out. Or when you build a website, you can spend five minutes taking a few checkboxes and you're done. So again, yeah. it was down to you know, how do we get 80% of the work done in 20% of the time and not need to get everything perfect? Yeah, 80 20 rule. Yeah, I, I really like those little sort of tools and things you can build. Like I've built a CLI tool that takes a YAML file I put in a project. I say what the project name is, whether it's using 
Docker or which version of PHP or which extensions it needs or which things to run tests against or which things to run PHP stand against, et cetera. And it generates Docker files and get ignores and all these other files, like just from the standard template. So then I can just, yeah, yeah, I, run that across everything. And yeah, it just saves so much time. I saw, was it last week, one of your newsletter emails was your build config file. Is that, that what you're talking about? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. that, that's, we, we've got a similar thing. We use Doxel in Anatech. We've got a similar thing. It's called Doxel config. We have it saved as a composer project and we pull it into each project. And then you want to mm -hmm. update it. You update it across, across the board as well. Yeah. Uh, and that's another perfect ex example of it. You know, if you're copying and pasting from project to project, you're always going to forget something or miss something or yeah. not bother doing something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as someone was like, yeah, which project has got Xdebug? And that one does, but that one doesn't. So I'll copy-paste yeah. that and I'll, or I'll change this one because this one is using uh, Docroot rather than web. Or this one is using a different version of PHP or um, I had a, a thing I was copy, uh, copying an ENV example file and uh, one already existed or something. So it skipped it, but then it didn't run the second step in that command. So... I was able to go and fix it in one place in the template and then just rerun it for all my projects and then get them all updated in one go rather than me having to go and, and do it across every project that uses it. Yep. But again, it's all about saving time. And then for me, if I'm doing fixed price work, then the more I can optimize that essentially effectively, uh, how it rates my effective hourly rate because I'm not spending as much time building and maintaining Docker files. But yep. also I could do cool videos and talks and go, this is nothing and here's a Drupal site and in like a minute or something, which is, uh, which is cool. Um, yeah, yeah somebody... I, I create a YouTube video to show what I've, what I've been working on for that. It's, it's kind of I'm a bit embarrassed to show it. Cause I know people will say straight away, Oh, that uses a bash script. They shouldn't use a bash script. You should use Drush generate field or something. Mm -hmm. like, ah, yeah, okay. But you know, if, 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 yeah. if it gets the, the point across, you know, I yeah. guess somebody else can make it better. Uh, that's well, more yeah. Person. Does it solve the problem? That's the key thing, isn't it? Is yeah. like it may not be, especially if you're doing it over like a condensed, compressed amount of time. It may have been like two days before DrupalCon or something, and being like, we really want to try and ship something by the end. Then yeah, it just if it works, then it works, and you can iterate and optimize things later on. Um, as a hack day, so I was doing some volunteering for School of Code, which is a boot camp, and has uh, been a mentor in that for the last two cohorts. I'm just about to do my third and uh yeah we were on a, on a hack day in birmingham and yeah just uh people starting off the start of the day with like some ideas of things they wanted to build and then they did some planning and then building in the afternoon and i think it's just that idea of like yeah what can we build in six hours that was like we can then sort of show or we didn't show as, as mentors we weren't showing but we were uh mentoring but uh then the the people were stood at the front in our squad and they were demoing their stuff so it was, yeah what, what can we build in this way and yeah it might not be ideal but uh yeah you can always go back and refactor that later on if you like exactly yeah and i think you've had some some things with that recently as well with uh, building something in a day i think you talk uh running plan generator or something i have yeah i've built a few things in a, in a day recently um yeah the running plan generator was kind of the bigger one i i did a couple of um javascript games um, everybody laughed at them because they were so silly, but things like I had a game called Tapper, which was how many times can you tap your phone screen in one minute? Um, and another record one, for that, uh, I, I can't remember now. I, I remember you, you, you'd be tapping away really fast, but it's amazing how quickly your fingers get tired actually after 40 seconds of uh running on your screen. Um, 
Now we we kind of played that internally in Anatech once or twice, and I, I did another one called Filler, which was, I think, it was maybe forty by forty grid of invisible checkboxes, and you have to try to tap all the checkboxes, um, and it's, that's kind of tricky again on a phone because your fingers are kind of fat, so you, you you're hitting one checkbox and you're on checking one and checking the other one at the same time and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the running plan generator was the bigger one. There was there there's a there's lots of running plans on the internet. And usually they've got the same plan for pretty much everybody. You know, you, you sign up for a 12-week plan or a 16-week plan. So I wanted to say, I, I do a lot of running and I wanted to do a plan that would say, you know, there's a marathon coming up in 17 weeks. Well, I don't mm-hmm. want to buy a 16-week plan because I want to start today. And I don't want to buy a 20-week plan because I didn't start three weeks ago. So that was one of the things was, how, how do I write a plan that would say, I don't care how many weeks you want to train for whether it's six weeks or whether it's 25 weeks or something like that. Um, and then that it, it would vary it per person that you know the, the, the activities you'd be given would be um, randomly chosen from a list of maybe six different activities. Because I usually find that everyone gets the same if they do this activity today and this one tomorrow and this one the next day and then a rest. So my one just allows you to do it slightly differently. And I uh, there was a few things I wanted to look at then with you know Stripe integrations and that so I kind of put that onto it so I could charge for the plan and then when the running plan generator covered its own costs which was maybe uh, two three weeks ago I removed the Stripe from it so now it's a free app anyone can use and oh. as much as they want so there's, yeah it's kind of nice you can you can you know click on your plans and you can save it saves just using local storage. Uh, we'll save one 5k, one 10k, one half marathon, and one marathon plan. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm gonna have to have a look at that. I've just started doing a lot more running after lockdown. So I did coach to 5k during lockdown and yep. then started doing some events last year. So I did the um 10k at the Chepstow race course yesterday. So I did five there last year and did 10 this year and did a couple of 10 since. So pe- people are already saying, Yeah, you want to start doing a half marathon next. So yeah. I might be, <laughs> be stepping up my uh. Yeah, if you can do if you can do ten k, you can do fifteen or twenty. It's fine. So um, we'll see. But it's interesting, though. You know, when when you do start running the longer distances, like the training actually gets easier because mm-hmm. you don't be running as fast. And then you know, like I, I my marathon training, it's really easy because I'm, I'm running so slow for you know, it get eighty percent of 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 my running time. And even now, like the the next marathon I'll do will probably be next October for for Dublin. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm just running at a grand pleasant pace and able to chat to people beside me because i'm not putting myself under pressure training for 5ks is actually probably the hardest or, or, or you know than a 10k because you are running quite fast for the full time that you're running mm-hmm. yeah i found that it's like they say starting 5ks and things and then we start to do 10s but i tend to get e- not so much easier for the second half but i think it's because i've got asthma and it takes me time to get into my sort of breathing or something but i usually find the second is is, is sort of easier the first three or four maybe it's harder to try and get into that rhythm and then after that it's usually a bit easier so yeah might need to try a bit further so maybe i'll give you your generator a try when i when i start looking at that so um yeah the, the generator it's actually pretty um actually the, the code is available on github there's a link in the in the footer for it as well um but it's 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 pretty generic too so uh, i've no you know friends that do weightlifting and things and i said geez mark we could use this for our, a weightlifting plan generator just again mm-hmm. weightlifting exercises rather than your 10 running exercises and you've, you've got the same kind of a thing. So there you go. Somebody wants to take that as an open source project and stick Stripe back onto it. It makes the money. Yeah. You could make a, a plan generator generator and then have it sort of generate <laughs> <Yeah>. itself. 
<laughs> plan itself. That's cool. So it's, what's that actually built in? Is that um, a JavaScript thing or was that? Yeah, it's just a single page app. Um, one HTML file, one CSS file, and one JavaScript file. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, but I suppose that's build something in a day. You would go and build, like, what's the simplest, simplest, easiest solution, but also from a, a maintainability perspective. Like, um, the thing I saw recently was about code being a liability rather than an asset. So you want to have said that a few times recently to people. And yeah. it's about like, yeah, if you can do something with a, a no code option or, or, or the least amount of code option possible, then you've got less to maintain going forward. Right. So yeah, it sounds like a, yeah, write less code essentially. Yeah. It, it did take more than a day. I got the kind of general running plan generator done in one day, but then when I added in Stripe, I was trying to, mm-hmm. I didn't want to have to build a server type thing. I want to make sure it could be hosted on GitHub pages, which it was, but then you couldn't use PHP. So you, you couldn't, you know, Stripe integration. Sure. Um, I did try something along the lines with, I did so much investigating into Stripe that you'd buy the product and we, then Stripe would check for the session and the session was there, but it ended up that that would actually put your Stripe public ID into your, into your um, code. I, I couldn't get around that without having a, a server scripted thing by using node or whatever. So uh, that that's what ended up, it, it probably took maybe three days in total between the plan generator, then the Stripe integration, then building a kind of a, I had a microsite as well, which was you buy it on the main site and then Stripe redirects you to the, to the full version of it. But the full version of it mm-hmm. I was gone because I've been integrated back into the main, the main site. So it's probably about three days in total. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something I found myself saying on this hack day on the weekend. I think we were doing we had we were doing mockups in Figma and FigJam and doing some planning in the morning, and then starting to do to building things in the in the, in the afternoon, and then we were sort of building like login forms and things and uh, starting to build that out. And I was like, well, we probably don't need that at least not from a demo perspective this afternoon. At least it doesn't need to be fully functional for a demo this afternoon. So, what is the main part of the app that we want to be showing in four hours or whatever time it was to somebody like and, and for your, this app it was about um it was a slightly delayed christmas hackathon so it was all christmas themes so this was ours was about um finding sort of meetup.com for christmas walks or something so it was like yeah for, for this app it was the list of walks or events that people want to find and see and then sort of the detail page for that so i'm like yeah let's build that first Mm-hmm. And then maybe let's go back to the login form, which you know, all the apps can have a login form and we're not going to have to show them actually logging anyway. So it's just like, yeah, what's, which is the main, which is the main part of the app that's going to add the value that we want to show instead of building sort of the, uh, the boilerplate and the plumbing and the, uh, the generic parts. Did you succeed? Um, yeah, it was really good. I think we got, we didn't do the, it wasn't doing like a login as such, but it was, they were able to sort of stand at the front and sort of show the user journey. So everything sort of worked as much as they could click through things and show it, show it working and, and everything. So yeah, that was uh, it's a really good experience, I think, for everybody, including them. And our group won sort of the the prize for the map for the day or whatever it was, the, the whatever it was called. So yeah, yeah, that was really cool. But everybody learned a lot from it. And funny enough, I was at the meetup in Oxford then for the PHP meetup later in the week and saw somebody else who was also there on the weekend on that day so we were in a bit of a discussion afterwards as well so that was that was good fun but yeah considering some of these people hadn't written any code 16 weeks ago or whatever it was it's quite surprising the amount of stuff that they can yeah. they can learn as part of these sort of boot camps 
So um, the other thing I think we're going to talk about, um, sorry, the other thing that's sprung to mind, talk about building things in a day. I remember again that to mind shift thing as watching some early sort of um adam Wathen streams i don't know if you've ever seen that adam streaming on youtube back when he, when he was more regularly but he was building um like a SaaS in a day as well so he was sort of building like vue.js front end laravel back end thing for like selling his podcast episodes and i think that's where the tailwind css stuff really sort of came in because uh he was showing it on a stream whilst was building this app and then everyone was like what's, what's the css framework that you're using um because it wasn't released yet or anything yet. It just copy yeah. and pasting files between projects. But yeah, again, it's just that idea of like I can build a login form and or I could just add them into SQL Pro or something myself and I can just focus on the bit that's adding the value. Yeah. Which is like yeah, the list of podcasts and and, this, and the Stripe integration and things. Yeah, the building the day actually I, I came across that from listening to the Shop Talk Show podcast and Dave Rupert was talking about he had been watching um or some, 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 actually, it could be the same Adam person you're talking about. That was he from Midbusters? No, yeah, was, uh, one of the chaps from Midbusters does a build in a day. Now he gets all his things and materials and his ideas all together beforehand. It's the actual build itself that takes a day. But Dave mm. Rupert was talking about that, so he uh, uh, build in a day, which was so, some things on his his own personal website or his his uh, company website, and wanted to add a new feature and add this and add that, and decided. What we do and break it down into kind of one day chunks so we can start and finish it in a day. And that's where I got the idea. I, I, I might try a, a few of those things. And it's, it's very interesting to kind of break it down into those. Even in work, you know, we need to build a blog for this new website. Well, we can't build a whole blog in a day, but we can definitely get the listing page done in a day. So let's, yeah. let's go. Yeah, break things down into small chunks, isn't it? Even if you're not deploying the whole thing, it's still deploying something. And I think having that idea in your mind that you're going to deploy something at the end of the day or finish something at the end of the day, then, um, yeah, it's the amount of work I used to get when I was, if I'm on a train and I know I've, I've only got 45 minutes on this train and, uh, yeah, the amount of work I can get through in, in that, knowing that there's an actual time I need to finish at the end rather than, oh, I've got four hours to do this. I feel mm -hmm. like tasks always take as long as you've got for them to take yep. with, uh, within reason. So it's like, yeah, if I know I've got to get this done within an hour, it's, maybe it's just the way my brain works i'm not sure well it's even knowing limitations as well like if, if you know you've got 45 minutes you might not take on the bigger thing that's going to take three hours because that's true if there is something smaller or, or you're on a train and you know hey, it's got great wi-fi because we've stopped in this town but i'm going to be in the middle of the country in in four minutes time or five minutes time and the wi-fi is probably gone again so let's get the blog post written rather than trying to do something that needs an internet connection Mm -hmm. Yes, we'll run npm install or compose install now, um, rather than when we, yeah we're in the middle of nowhere. It's probably not going to work. Well, that's funny. Yeah, funny. If I was doing that on the other day, it just wasn't. Yeah, it didn't didn't work out well. Or we got a plane or something. It's just like oh, I should have run composer install before I left. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All of our websites actually nanotech. We 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 build on remote servers now, so everything is, okay. is is online, which is great. So if I got you know my laptop and I got my desktop, I don't need to clone the project in the two places but when you're on a train ah uh, okay we don't have a wi-fi connection so it's it's it, it does show it's um well not its failings the train wi-fi is failings mm -hmm. that's quite interesting because then it's, yeah i suppose you don't need to be running docker or something locally on your machine so it's, it's, all, it's all been run on exactly yeah nothing saved on our machines so you you actually work from a, a tablet or a very low low spec laptop and still have mm -hmm. as much 
powered um, as, as I have when I'm on my MacBook Pro. Yeah, that's interesting. A few times I've been, yeah, working on a machine and then sort of SSHing into a different machine, even sort of at home, because maybe, yeah, it doesn't have sort of the overhead or something. Maybe it's, this one's higher spec and I can run it from that one and yeah. sort of do four, four port forwarding across so I can say yeah, 8,000 on this machine becomes 8,000 on this machine and then I can still access the site that way. That's exactly the way it um, works. Hmm, that's quite interesting. Yeah, I've tried that before myself. Um, some give a talk about code spaces I think a little while ago. I think that's a VS Code thing that you could sort of connect to a remote Docker or, or something. Yeah, yeah, I think that's sure. that's that's built into uh, GitHub. I think they, they run code okay. It comes through mm. Git. That was a while ago. That was PHP South Wales, I think. It would have been before COVID. So, yeah, I'll have to go back and look into that. That'd be interesting. So what's the main reason for wanting to make a switch to using remote servers rather than sort of local development? Um, well, that was an Anatech um, DevOps decision, which I'm not really involved in. Um, but it, it the, the, the reasoning was standardization so that everyone would be using the same um, there, there, there'd be nobody able to say it doesn't work. For, it works on my local, but it doesn't work on my local. Let's say you know, mm -hmm. if no matter whether you're on Linux or whether you're on Windows or whether you're on Mac or or, or anything else, you SSH into your um, into your box in the morning, and then we've all got the exact same resources. We've all got the exact same configuration file. We've all got the exact same setup. So if it's working for you locally, it will work for me locally. And if it's not, when I clone it, it'll also not work for me. So it's easier for me to to do my debugging. Um, okay. There's also a few a few um, things around GDPR and things like that. So all our servers then are within the EU. So if somebody's outside the EU, um, yeah. there's still, I, I don't know how technical it gets, but let's say, but it, it it's 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 better GDPR wise and and that than than someone taking a laptop to you know wherever they're going holidays. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we all take laptops on holidays somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. I said, yeah, just take my laptop and I do a little bit of work. Like, no, but you know, you got, you got someone say living here, but they're from maybe Australia originally or whatever. So if they go home for say two months, yeah. it, yeah. it, it that makes it a bit, a bit easier. Um, but the, the the general idea was just standardization, so we'd all be working on the exact same uh, tech stack. Yeah, it's nothing worse than having like somebody running. PHP 8.2 on their machine and somebody else is running 8.1 and someone's running mm -hmm. 7.2 or 7.3 like it does happen or maybe somebody's running Apache rather than Nginx and then you do get sometimes some very odd little quirks so standardizing is always good isn't it so that's yeah, and that's even the bigger issue was someone was using MAMP and somebody else is using Docker and somebody else is using DDEV and somebody else and that gets very yeah. hard and if, if, if the if it's a kind of an operating issue rather than a Drupal issue mm-hmm yeah, standardize all mine to, yeah, I think all Docker and Docker Compose now, but as using, as I've worked for different people, different agencies and things, people will have their own preferred yeah. thing. So yeah, company A will use so DDEV, one will use Docker and one will use Lando and people have got their, their preferences and build their projects around those tools then to try and get that standardization, as you said. So yeah, not many, well, some I guess must, would be doing remote servers and things, but I guess it's different ways of solving the same mm -hmm. same sort of problem. Um, I guess it's what other performance thing. So you might not need a really really powerful laptop. So you just need to be just as just powerful enough. So not you're not running everything, and you don't have to have your fans going off because you're running a composer install or something. It's happening on the cloud somewhere. So yep. somebody else's fans <laughs> spinning somewhere else rather than on your on your machine. Okay, interesting. So I suppose the other thing. 
then talking about coming back to the uh, the simplicity part is we've been talking about um, no build front end, so just using uh, vanilla CSS, vanilla JavaScript, rather than having sort of build steps and things uh, as part of it. So I guess that's another way of keeping keeping things simple. Um, what led you to go to is that another R and D thing from an uh, well, it's, it, that yourself? It's it's been a big drive of mine for the last maybe three to four years. Um, <clears throat> we, I like. You get your front-end developers who are fine with Node and package.json and you know doing your NPM install, you get all your bits and pieces. Then you get a back-end developer that needs to do something on the front-end for whatever reason. Uh, and it might be something as simple as, I just need to change the uh, phone number in the footer. And say this is say when we were using Pattern Lab. Um, but the, to, to make that change, you got to regenerate your Pattern Lab. And back-end person may not have looked at this website for a year and a half, two years, and there's always loads of updates and things have gone out of date. And even if they've looked, you've looked at it, if you're working on it every single week, there's still always a dependency of a dependency of a dependency that's 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 can, can give an issue. Um so I, I think a lot of what we build these days doesn't actually need all the complexity of of node in the background. Uh, uh, you get to a point where we're really only using node because you got SAS and you want to compile it. Or mm-hmm. you got Babel or you got, got a, a um a JavaScript file and you want you want to compile it for ES um ES5 or, or or lower than that. And the way browsers are at this stage between custom properties and evergreen browsers and everyone supporting ES6 plus um uh, JavaScript, I don't see a need for the most part for uh, those kind of build steps. So the, the beauty of it is if uh, someone who's not familiar with your system, like a backend developer, perhaps for, is not might not familiar familiar maybe with your front end, or you get a junior developer, an intern comes on board, they're not stuck with. I haven't got a clue when I I just saved one file. Now there's three hundred files after changing. That doesn't matter anymore. Okay. You change the one file you want to change, and you see the updates um, uh, immediately. And then I think especially with with with, with the advent of um, modern CSS in terms of um, custom variables, uh, container queries. Um, aspect ratio uh, properties and things like that uh, grid so much of what we needed SAS for is 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 gone um yeah. one of the things i suppose it doesn't do then that w- without a build step you, you don't get the post css stuff and but i think you know modern browsers are working so well cross cross browser compatibility isn't is such a small issue that often you don't need post css and then uh, the minification tools to make your CSS a .min.css file. Uh, well, there's there's two kind of thoughts on it I have, and and, and especially I think with 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 the JavaScript, um, when when you're rewriting it and and uglifying your your JavaScript, uh, one school of thought I have is that, uh, if you leave it all as not minified and that Drupal has its own, presuming we're we're using Drupal, let's say, or or, or some something whatever you're using. It has its own kind of caching systems and its own uh, aggregation system and that. So that's pretty good. And you can use Cloudflare and all that. So you still should get all the performance. Um, but something I really love is that in the older web, when you're a, a new developer and you want to see how something is built, you can click on inspect element and you can see a class name and you can see the CSS. And I love that. I love that any developer yeah. can come in and see, oh, that's how Mark built this or that's how Oliver built that. That's really cool. Um, when you minify all your CSS, you can still copy and paste it out and, and unminify it very easily. And that's pretty good too. But 
with your JavaScript, when when you start using something like Babel and it starts rewriting all your 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 variable names and your your const names into just letters or or, or, yeah. or things, then no junior developer can from outside of your of, of your company can come along and inspect your code and click on your JavaScript file and see what you did. And I, I love the idea of being able to share code that way that it's it's here's my HTML, here's my CSS, and here's my JavaScript. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's that kind of I think idealistic philosophical um aspect behind it for me and then just the, the ease of development for for everybody else so I, i've been pushing really hard we, we we haven't written um on any of our new projects uh any sas in anertech i'd say in three years four years or, or thereabouts and i i brought the same philosophy then to local gov drupal I, I rewrote the base team for local gov drupal about we started about three years ago and mm-hmm. all that team was written with uh just vanilla css and it, it's it's made um the, the the barrier for entry for anyone coming to to um contribute to local gov drupal on the front end much easier yeah. than 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 when it was sas based and you, you you had to understand whatever nvm plus node plus you know everything else that goes along along with that mm-hmm. yeah i remember seeing a talk from laracon when you know jeffrey way who runs laracast was doing this talk and he'd sort of said yeah when i started learning you have to learn html and css and javascript i think that was like one slide and the next 10 slides were here are things you need to learn now yeah. and it was html and css and sas and less and gulp and grunt and docker and <laughs> it's just this list of things you need to learn and um definitely been in that situation where somebody's gone oh i've edited this file maybe they've changed um, a css file or, or sas file vice versa and but my change is in there and we're like, yeah, here are the sort of 10 steps that I need to go through and need to install this and everything else. It's uh, it's quite well, different. I, I've had a couple of instances where I'd have a backend developer, Mark, I need to change something in CSS. So I just changed the .min.css file directly. Yeah. You can't do that. You've got to change the SAS file and then recompile it. No, it's okay. I actually changed the SAS file as well. So the next time you recompile it, yeah, <laughs> which fair play, you know that that's that, that that's fine, and that works as long as you know you've got to change it in in, in two different places. But uh, like that's yeah. not really that's grand. Okay, that one's fine, but we, we need to get a better system than better system than that. You know. Yeah, like that's that's yeah, I got to call this like yeah. I I changed that module, but I'll make a patch for it later, and you probably want to you probably forget, <laughs> and then it's like oh, I knew I was gonna write, yeah. I knew I had to do something. Yeah, it, it's almost like throwbacks when I first started. Development. This would have been two thousand and six and seven ish. I think I built a, a site for a type on Club. I was training at, at the time that both my son now goes to, uh, and that was yeah, it was just HTML and CSS when I started. And I think I bought a template online in the end, and I think I maybe had done one version myself, and then got a template. And here's the HTML file. Here's the CSS file. This references this, and and that like that was it basically. And yep. then I made them made some more pages and then i was like oh well maybe i should start looking at i don't want to make a separate html page for every news article i should go and um, look into php or you know was that, that's what set me off on my uh php drupal journey but yeah. um yeah then you know at some point we then started looking at um probably less i think first and then sas then gulp and grunt and those sorts of tools so then you've got to learn how that works and you know, going back to some of those files now when you've got all this nesting and everything as well. It's like, I'm not quite sure how I managed to <laughs> get into that sort of pickle um, certain things. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. I remember my first, I remember liking SAS. And when I did the nesting thing, I was like, wow, that's so cool. And I remember like two days later, I had nested maybe 20 nests, Steve. And I was, this is so fantastic. And then six months later, you go back and go, holy shit. (laughs) What does this actually refer to back? And I started started realizing very quickly that nesting, I, I, I would use nesting in SAS only for, hover and focus states that kind of a thing mm, yeah but not, not for a field inside a field yeah putting your own sort of guardrails in that's sort of, <laughs> sort of what i end up doing as well uh, at some point but um then i think webpack came in i think everybody moved i think onto webpack which was quite difficult to set up i think from, from what we had to do it vanilla, do it um by hand so then i think things at like laravel mix came in uh that was so that came out of obviously the laravel community uh encore was when they came out of symphony so they again they both wrappers around webpack to make those easier and then you now you've got things like Vite and everything on the javascript side as well which is doing um bundling so so much has changed i think in on the front end space hasn't yeah. back end space as well but on the front end particularly you know as you sort of try and sort of onboard new people or train people on boot camps or graduates or something so yeah who's all the tools and they maybe only used to writing sort of normal normal Say for normal CSS, but vanilla CSS. So, the more you can lower that barrier to entry for them, um, as you know, employees or um, contributors to open source, and that's going to be easier for them to do rather than here's all this other stuff you need to learn with it. The lowest, I think, barrier to entry, though, if you do need to use something like that, is probably Vite at the moment. I, I, I've I've used that a couple of times, and it, it is absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic. It's so fast, and it's very easy to use. So, you know, it, that's that would be my first thing to reach for if if I do need a bit of tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Vite seems to be um, sort of become the de facto one in, in there at the moment, isn't it? Because it's used by, was it written by um, Evan Yu, who does um, Vue.js, and I think it's been adopted by React and everybody pretty much at this point as like the de facto, the de facto thing. Yeah. So, yeah, keep meaning to to look into that. But um, the other thing I've been doing is for more of the Tailwind things. So again, you can just use like the Tailwind CLI, so you don't need any build tools unless you're doing you know SAS or post as well um SAS or things as well. Um the other thing I saw people doing for a while was building sort of NPM scripts around so instead of using some like webpack you just add um post CSS CLI or something and have a an NPM script to run like NPM run build or something. Um sort of to remove one layer of abstraction but yeah. but ended up causing me more problems I think at the time if I remember rightly. <laughs> Cool. So does this does this lead nicely into your vanilla design system that you've been building? It probably does. It's it's not even that I've been building it. It's as far as I'm concerned, it's finished because it's I I'm not going to build a, a full um design system just because it's, it's more a proof of concept that showed that you you can do this thing. Um, mm-hmm. one thing I suppose I, I will say because I know the design system um gurus will jump on me to tell me this is not a design system. A design system has a content strategy and it has a all these other things in into it. Uh, so maybe it's a bit more of a component library or a pattern library or a style guide. Or, actually, no, I'll be told next that a style guide is part of a design system as well. So anyway, let's say from the point of view of uh, enabling the conversation, we'll call it a, a design system. Um, so yeah, I, I built that um, over Christmas. Um, again, looking at it, I, 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 was, I was mad into uh, Pattern Lab. I absolutely loved it. But Pattern Lab 2 then stop PHP support and move towards Node and it would never became stable. 
so everyone moving over towards looking at Storybook and Storybook, I think is absolutely fantastic and it does so much. But again, it's got so many dependencies on top of dependencies. There, there's there's a lot to get to grips with, number one, and there's a lot then to keep uh, up to date if, if, if you're, you know, as you're maintaining it. So before Christmas, I had this idea that with web components as in standard HTML um, custom elements, we should be able to build a design system. So one of the things I, I, I did um, was build a website or two for friends of mine where the header and the footer were uh, web components. So then uh, you, you can then add as many PHP, not, not PHP, as many pages as you want. And you've just got a, a custom element called um, custom header and another one called custom footer. So if you do need to change the header and the footer, you can change the web component itself and the rest of the website updates. That was pretty, hand, pretty, pretty good because without having a, a templating engine, it means you can get fairly far along with, with templates. Um, then I thought, could we build this out a bit more? Could we also add in cards and uh, say teaser view mode type things? Um, could we create a listing page? Could we create a container that could have different widths and properties? And, and that all looked very possible. So I thought if we bring it back a level then up to the idea of, well, let's start off at what a design system would have. So we start off with design tokens. So we, we've got our colors and our fonts and our spacings and things like that. Uh, when we've got those, then we get our individual components. So you, you get a header component, which is made up of other components. So it's got the logo plus the menu and things like that. And the footer then has got other in, uh, nested components. Um, so that was it really. I, I put that all together and it, 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 it kind of, it kind of says to me that we could, you could build, say, if, if you work for an agency, like I do with, with Anertech, you could build really, um, robust components that you could use across projects without having to reinvent them for every project. So you know, a card, let's say, is pretty similar, no matter what website across the world you look at, it's, it's, it's usually the same size, let's say, as a playing card. It's usually got an image on the top. It's usually got a title, it got some content and got a, a link then to read more. Uh, and there might be some other bits and pieces, you know, whether it's, it's, it's event, it could be a date field. And if it's blogged, it could be um, tags fields or things like that. So. I would like to think that we could we you could start building those kind of components out in a very robust manner, a very scalable manner, very performant manner, and a very accessible manner. And then the next project comes, you're just going to in, import your uh, card component, import your teaser component, import your container component, or what, whatever it is in the different places that you want. So that was it. I, I I put that together. It took I think about four days maybe to build kind of a day of general trashing code around in an ugly manner to see is there any prospect of it working out and then two or three days to kind of make it actually work and pop in a few colors that I think worked well together. I I, I, I was listening to a lot of podcasts recently by people like say Brad Frost and uh, Dave Rupert and talking about web, web comp not talking about design systems specifically uh, and everyone's using web components inside their design systems and I just kind of thought why can't you build a full design system as a web component? Uh, I know you, yeah. you've so many things in Storybook, like being able to put in a custom, um, if you got a button, you can put in your own text for, I want this button to say this instead. Uh, there's no reason why you couldn't do that with a web component by, by setting the content editable attribute uh, mm -hmm. onto it, but it's inside the the, um, the design system. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a couple of clients that have, talk to us that want design systems built or one pattern libraries built that, that maybe didn't have them uh, historically. And I think this is, and, and they've also got like 
web infrastructure or, or, or web estate, let's say that that has a couple of different websites, maybe you know, 10, 15, if you talk to a county council, they could have a hundred different websites. Yep. So again, it would be good to build your um your header as a web component because every council website then can every, every website inside your estate can have the exact same header. And because it's yeah. just a custom web component, it's going to work on whether you use React for your front end or WordPress or Drupal or a custom HTML mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Um, so that kind of scalability, I, I think, and, and and resilience, I think, would works very well with, with, with web components. And again, you got no no build steps. They, they work perfectly well with uh, Firefox, Safari, Chrome, a, a, anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've typically used Fractal. I know we've looked at Storybook um, fairly recently, but I know we're using Fractal. We use Fractal primarily for things that's JavaScript based, and yep. I think that the previous maintainers are sort of stepping down or have stepped down. So discussion around but who takes maintainership of that going forward but um yeah typically you know that we use a language like handlebars or twig or we typically will use twig because then we're building twig templates in drupal or symphony or something depending on whatever the project is but um yeah i've actually got an example of that at the moment where the main website is drupal but other parts of the site are built in view or something else so then it's really a case of like this maybe I'm not entirely sure how this would work, but it's more like you can look at this design system that we've built. This is how we've built it. But then maybe then if another person wants to use it in Vue.js, they obviously can't use it with Twig. So does that mean they then need to rebuild the templates using Vue templates or React templates or something? So yeah, actually using like a generic web component sounds like a really good option, actually, because as you said, it's agnostic regardless of which, which thing you're using. Yeah, if, if, if you take take a card component and you've got a title and a read more link and things like that, each of those variables can just be attributes on the custom element itself. So then you have mm-hmm. your open bracket, custom card, title equals whatever, something else equals something else. And they're easy to set by a view or a PHP or a twig or whatever you want. Yeah, I was looking at something nice. The MC-grid and then you've got gap equals small or medium or not. So... Yeah, the same way sort of pass props, I guess, in the... In the, the That's exactly it, yeah. Or, and and yeah. the nice thing about that is that my, my grid is called MC grid, and then the gap equals small, medium, or large. It means our design system or our brand guidelines say that the space in between items must be 16 pixels or 24 pixels or 32 pixels, and that is all. Mm-hmm. You don't yeah. get... It's not a CSS class where someone starts overriding, this is going to be 17 pixels here and 19 pixels there. You've only got three options. So no matter what yeah. you do, how you put your page together, it has to uh, uh, follow the brand guidelines, despite mm-hmm. your best efforts to try to break the brand guidelines. <laughs> yeah, it's one thing that really intrigued me when I moved to the utility first classes a while ago was that, yeah, you only had, these are the colors that you can use, these are the spacings you can use, and you didn't have like a 17 pixels in some places or yep. you know, some random value, uh, but at least on the table inside, like you can now add some arbitrary value in like sort of square bracket syntax and I use them very rarely, but it does yeah, give people a bit of an escape hatch. And they go, actually, this does need to be 17 pixels. And yeah, I'd rather not do that. So I'd rather try. I think the designs just look more consistent when you've got, um, like, as, as you say, like a, a guide for set addings or set font sizes or whatever the case may be. And the same with the, so, if you look at the grid system is an MC grid and there's, I don't know, it's items or something equals two or three or four. And that's, that decides in our design system. Our grid can have a maximum of four items in a row. We we, we don't have 
16 item grids and we don't have 27 item grids and things like that mm -hmm. yeah i'll put a link to this in the, uh, the episode notes but look, look at it's all powered by css variables or that's the wrong fit what's the actual fit custom properties right that's uh, the actual real that's CSS variables i think everyone calls it but custom properties <laughs> yeah yeah so we've got things like dash dash mc dash color dash primary so i guess if someone wanted to customize a color or um a, a spacing as they could override a variable themselves and, and change it. Is that how that works? Or? Yeah, that's how that works. It, 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 teaming web components is tricky because of the shadow DOM and things like that. It's it's hard to get things into and out of uh, web components. So if you set variables at a higher level, then you're just changing variable properties within the web component rather than setting CSS itself. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. I think, as you said, that's cover down some of all the major browsers now isn't it you don't really there's no reason really not to use to use them in projects because um i think i saw the uh uh has selector is the one that was added to i think firefox recently which brought it up to spec with all the others there are there are things to be considered of in terms of you know node shots with fallbacks and that so if, if everything if all the properties are set as, as attributes in your element they won't show on the page when there's no javascript but you, you can get around that, you know, but you, you, as long as you're aware of it, you can think about it. Or you might decide that everybody has JavaScript or there's issues mm -hmm. if HTTP doesn't load it as well as <laughs> not just JavaScript. Cool. Really interesting. Yeah, I have to look at that and, yeah, maybe uh, start maybe using that for some projects. I'm, yeah, definitely keen on when I'm doing projects at the moment, doing the design system first before just starting to build all the themes and everything. It gives a good chance to sort of yeah, if something's designed to be in Figma or whatever the tool is, you know, like that's not representative of how it might work on web. So it's a good chance to sort of actually build it, play with it, see how it works responsively, and then to fix things before you're worried about like, oh, now to change all the things and everywhere in the CMS, which is, yeah, it's easy, easier and quicker to do in the design system and iterate there, I found. Yep. Generally. Uh, the other thing I've got down to talk to you about was content access by path module something that you uh, did recently yes we built that or i built that maybe two weeks ago um i've been doing a lot of work with essex county council and they have a desire for a restricting content editors to only be able to edit certain sections of their website so i'm not sure if you know will callahan from from uh, local gov Drupal. he's product um manager in essex county council now as well so we, we, we built actually a couple of versions of this. So we, we looked at taxonomy access light and that was, I can't remember what the issue was, but there, there was a, a, something that didn't suit our use case. Um, we built a nice feature with um, content, oh, what's it called? Workbench content access, I think it's called. Is it a workbench access? Um, and I built a, a local GovDrupal module for that, that. That was very nice that you, you get a taxonomy term that goes onto a, a node and a taxonomy term goes onto a user. And if you have the two of them, then you get access to that node or, or not. Um, the kind of issue we had with that, which wasn't an, it's not an, an issue really, but it was that we would have to tag all the current content on the website. Um, so so and with, without tagging all the current content on the website, it would mean that current editors wouldn't be able to edit their current content. Now, that, that's not a huge issue. You, you, we can install it and spend maybe an hour and a half going through each node and adding a, a tag to it, or we could script it or whatever. But we, we decided, and Will was really pushing me for this, was that the solution we're going to implement has no uh, impact on current editors. So it's only going to affect 
um, who we who we decide it's going to affect. Let's say so. If you've yeah. got um, say there's there's a fostering section in Essex County Council, and someone is not part of the county council but is part of a fostering organisation, if they log into the website, they can only edit content in the fostering section. Mm-hmm. So we we built it that that if you're a current editor, nothing happens, and unless you have we we build a taxonomy. Uh, field called uh, content access by Pat. So unless that field is applied to your user page, to your user account, uh, not, not nothing happens. So what that taxonomy does is it's it's got it's got a um, you give it a name. So you give the name fostering, for example, and then it's got a paths field in it, and you can have multiple paths because, say, for example, a, a fostering example is is a handy one because you might have fostering at forward slash um, uh, adults and young children forward slash fostering. So if you put in that path, you can edit anything at that path or further down the chain. But the news for fostering might be inside a news section. So that could be slash news slash fostering, and that gives you your fostering news. And then events could be inside slash events slash fostering. So we got a multi-value path field. You can put whatever paths you want inside that. Then anybody with that taxonomy term can edit all the content inside that. And then we we, we built out a sub-module as well called content access by path admin content, which just says that the, the admin content listing view uh, will will only show content that you're allowed to edit. And content you're allowed to edit is content inside the paths that you're allowed to have access to, and also content outside that path that was created by you yourself. Because what we found very quickly was somebody would create a node and not set a path, and path order would kick in and just give the path as the node uh, title, which would be outside of your of your allowed path editing parameters and then you're locked out of the note you, can, you can't edit it yourself <laughs> yeah. and, and you get somebody who, who can bypass that to come in and, and set a path for you so we said now that uh you can edit all your own content and things inside your your path settings um so that that's and we, we made that available then on drupal.org because we think it's generic enough and there's a, enough of a use case for um other people to use it not just uh, uh local gov um people and not just essex either essex council is great at that everything we build we try to make it open source so all the other councils can benefit from it. And if, if, if possible, all Drupal users can benefit from it, not just other councils. Yeah, that's something I really like about the local gov initiative and <clears> I'm <throat> to have Will and maybe Finn come on and, and do a bit of a local gov deep dive at some point. And yeah, I'm speaking to Finn a little bit at DrupalCon as well. <clears throat> um, something I dipped my toe in a little bit, I think we looked at using, uh, oh, what was it? It was something anyway in local gov that I was looking to reuse on a, on a project and did make a pull request onto something which might have been a CSS variable change now I think about it. <laughs> it's like this all together. So, um, yeah, I think that's definitely something I'd, I'd like. It's, like, it's that open source sort of mentality of, yeah, other people could benefit from this as well. So why not make it um, available for people to use and contribute to and also improve? Mm-hmm. Yeah, local gov Drupal has been a game changer in, I think, in council in the UK, there's, I think about ten percent of councils in the UK are already using it, which is which is fantastic in kind of two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think because of local gov Drupal, Drupal is now the most used CMS in in local gov in in the UK between people just using Drupal themselves and now using local gov Drupal as well. Uh, and in Ireland now we've got I think uh, two councils live using local gov Drupal and uh, three councils in development using local gov Drupal. Uh, and we've four councils from Anertech using Drupal, let's say before local gov Drupal came about, which means about 40% of Irish councils are actually using Drupal. 
Yeah, it's forty four at the time of recording on the on the local gov website, yeah. which is I think it was about twenty something last time I looked. Um yeah. and then yeah, I spoke to somebody uh Scotland about it a few months ago, just to have a bit of a discussion. So that was really interesting. Um so yeah, it's definitely getting some some traction and uh yeah, something I want to contribute probably more, get more involved with later on. Um just like yeah, contact us by pack. The pool of contributors is is kind of small. Um, it's smaller than the amount of uh, agencies that are using it. And I know I'm calling out people here. I don't mean to do, do that. Let's say, but uh, mm. you know, if, if you're using it, you should be contribute. You, you, you know, we we don't have as many contributors as as I I think the project merits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely pre local gov. I remember doing some work for a council uh, a few years ago for an agency and. We were saying this then, like, why is it not like a standardized way of doing X for everybody? So we were having those discussions then, um, and they that council got quite involved in, in the whole initiative. So yeah, it's really great to see that happening. Um, yeah, looking at the, I have another look at contact access by path because I know that there was I had a similar use case fairly recently. So I'll have a look at that, and I'll put a link to that in the episode notes as well. And there's no tests in it, so I might contribute some tests. So I'll see if I can oh, get that. Oh, that'd be switch. great. So, yeah, please do. That'd be cool. So um, I won't keep you for much longer. So anything else that you want to discuss or anything that uh, you want to mention? Where can people find you uh, online? Uh, I don't. The handiest place to find me online is probably mark.ie. Uh, my blog is there. Um, anything else? I kind of don't want to promote like Twitter or stuff like that, but I'm <laughs> Mark Conroy on Twitter. Uh, I use Instagram. No, I don't use Instagram. Uh, What's a Mastodon? Uh, I think my name is Mark Conroy yet. Mastodon.ie, but I'm not overly sure. Uh, but mm. my Mark.ie website is probably the handiest. Yeah, that's why I think I read a lot of your blog posts on, on there as well. And there's links to all your projects on there, I think, as well. So, um, yeah, cool. Um, thanks for joining me. Thanks for taking the time today. It's been a really interesting conversation. I've got a lot to go away and think about. Um, so, yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, thanks, thanks for everybody. Me. And uh, I know I your podcast you, so uh, very best of luck with it. It's you seem to be doing very well so far. Yeah, I've got a bit of, I think, yeah, it was great to have you. I think we're back Lavin come on the, the first episode and had uh, quite a few others, and there's a few more I'm recording of the next couple of weeks with some people. Um episode with uh, the Drupal Association, uh, Tim from the Drupal Association probably come up next. Um Eric from the violinist was was, was released yesterday. So yeah, it's quite a and it's great because I get to learn things as well as me <laughs> speaking to other people. So yeah. that's brilliant. So yeah, hopefully it'll carry on for a while. So um yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Um I'm Oliver Davis. Thanks very much.